You're listening to the Gospel for Planet Earth podcast. Welcome to the Gospel for Planet Earth podcast. I'm your host, Carl Gessler, missionary, worship leader, songwriter, um, cultural dissident, revivalist, you name it, something idealistic and exciting. That's what I am. That's who I am. And I'm podcasting today because I believe that the gospel of Jesus is good news for right here, right now. It's not just about an eternal place in the sky. It's actually not about that at all. It's about God's reign, God's rule, right here, right now on planet Earth. That is good news. But today I'm going to be answering a skeptic who says that Christianity is the worst religion for people facing depression or dealing with depression. But don't take my word for it. Here are his words. This Facebook post came through a mutual friend. I don't know this person, but their name, his name is Andrew. And Andrew says, Christianity is the worst possible religion for people with depression. In Christianity, their deity is perfect, all good and all knowing. Humans? Humans are scum. Lower than dirt. Constitutionally incapable of doing right. Humans aren't just imperfect. Everything we desire to do is wrong, and without their deity, they simply cannot live. That's a textbook abusive relationship with a narcissist. Your deity isn't real, but somehow you're still in an abusive relationship? How? Andrew's objections give me the opportunity to talk about my favorite thing to not agree with, which is Calvinism. At the heart of this protest is the notion that Christianity views human beings as scum. The Apostle Paul did say that the followers of Christ are the scum of the earth in 1 Corinthians 4.13, but, of course, context is key. Paul did not argue that humans are the scum of the earth, but that Christians, particularly in his immediate context, got abused and were treated as the scum of the earth. Nevertheless, as a statement from Andrew indicates, this message that some people have received from various quarters of the church is that humans bring to the table absolutely no value or goodness. In theological terms, this would be called total depravity. If you're familiar with Calvinist doctrine, you'll know that there's an acronym that is used to teach the basic principles of Calvinism. The acronym is is TULIP, and the T in TULIP stands for total depravity. It's worth noting that there are nuances to that doctrine that are important, but on a popular level, what has been communicated to the average person in America today is that this doctrine means you have absolutely no goodness in you whatsoever. This notion is taken to such extremes that many Calvinists will say, I think every Calvinist would say this, you cannot choose Jesus unless God chooses Jesus for you inside you. We'll get to more of that in a minute. But basically, you don't even have enough goodness in you to choose Jesus. So Andrew's complaint about Christianity and depression hinges on the idea of this notion that that people outside of Christ are scum. I'm adding the outside of Christ part here because many Christians will make that distinction. Many Calvinists would make that distinction. But let's just uh, take it as it is right now. Assume that Andrew meant to say that are Christians or are people outside of Christ considered scum by God? So what do we mean when we talk about humans outside of Christ? As Christians, we believe that a fundamental change comes over a human who acknowledges the lordship of Jesus over everything, 
especially themselves, and who identify with Jesus through baptism. When someone receives baptism into Christ, they are symbolically dead and raised to life again with a new identity. They are now members of Jesus' family. As the scriptures say, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, everything has become new. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Christian doctrine teaches that whatever crimes have been committed by a human get canceled at baptism. The baptized individual is now a new, innocent, i.e. valuable person. The baptized individual is now a new creation, so the old crimes are no longer committed, uh, no longer uh, considered um, to be held against you. So if you were considered scum outside of Christ, the expectation is that now that you're inside of Christ, things have changed. You are now an innocent person, i.e. you are valuable. But the person outside of Christ, their crimes are still counted against them, making them an enemy of God or quite possibly scum. It's difficult to tell from Andrew's statement whether or not he distinguishes humans inside of Christ or humans and humans outside of Christ. Andrew just says, in Christianity, humans are scum. But if Andrew is coming from a former Calvinist perspective, and I suspect that he is, that lack of distinction is understandable. Because in Calvinism, humans don't get to choose to give their lives to Jesus. And to me, I'm sorry, but this sounds very convoluted. God decides to provide you with a heart that chooses Jesus. So, as I mentioned a minute ago, you may think you're choosing Jesus, but in Calvinism, you made your choice only because God chose to make you choose Jesus. And my head is spinning, too, just in saying that sentence. At the end of the day, the reason Calvinists believe that God works this way is that they do believe, as Andrew articulated, that humans are constitutionally incapable of doing any good on our own, including choosing Jesus. Therefore, this is, this is the important part here uh, for understanding Andrew's depression when it comes to relating to God. If we accept the notion that humans outside of Christ are scum and without value, it is hard to distinguish those inside of Christ if the humans in question play no part in his or her conversion. We are simply the lucky ones who God chooses to give faith. Therefore, the value of scum remains because only the technical status has changed. Biblically speaking, we were lost before and now we are found, but we were lost scum before, and now it seems that we would only be found scum since we brought nothing of value to the table whatsoever, not even the choice to accept or worship Jesus. This shift in technical status accomplishes very little to assure a human being of their value before God. The result of the status change is merely an alteration in future consequences. It doesn't necessarily prove that we are loved or have value in the present. It doesn't prove that God came after me because he valued me. It only says that I happen to be a lucky one that God has chosen to save. Nothing about this exchange would make a person conclude, as the Apostle Paul does, that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says this in Galatians 2.20. I know there will be many Calvinists at this point who would say, wait a minute, if God chooses me, it's because he loves me, and that proves that God loves me because he chose me. But if you have no inherent value in yourself, if there's nothing about you that God desires, 
And if the only way that God could desire to have you as part of his family is for him to put something of himself inside of you, then God does not love you. He only loves himself. For love to be love, it has to be loving something that is other than itself. And this change of status proposed through popularized Calvinistic teaching does not remove the label of scum from our lives. It only changes what is going to happen to us in the future. Materialism has always been a failing antidote for depression, and divine materialism, like inheriting an eternal mansion in the sky, adds nothing more to human being's self-worth than earthly materialism. If an immigrant receives citizenship in a new country, if the vast majority of the natives never see value in the newcomer, the technical status will not do enough to make the new citizen feel at home. In the Calvinist worldview, God does not desire us so much as he wants to glorify himself through our helplessness. Therefore, Calvinism has very little power to lift someone out of depression or to make a person feel loved, appreciated, or capable of offering anything of value to God or man. If Calvinism is correct, Andrew and his objections are also right. Andrew can conclude that the deity he has understood is not real and that Christianity is worthless, in which case he can then move on freely into secularism, where the justification is given for every personal indulgence for the purpose of numbing the experience of depression. The justification comes on the basis that everything is meaningless. So if you feel pain, if you feel depression, whatever you need to do to not feel that is justifiable. But this will not get rid of depression. It will simply numb it from time to time. Or Andrew can dig deeper into questions about God, creation, the person of Jesus, and the human race to determine if what he has understood is actually the truth. The second option requires a lot more effort and courage. The first option gives you license to rant against the God whom you condemn on hearsay. Most people in our day and culture choose this first, effortless and irresponsible option, which also brings praise and accolades from the world around us, further numbing our sense of depression. There's nothing like the praise of men to give us a temporary high and forget our misery. The first option provides people with the sense of having found the truth in their declaration that there's no such thing as truth, and it seems to provide people with a sense of meaning in accepting the fact that life is meaningless. If a lie is going to be effective, it's going to have to be convincing that it is actually the truth. And in our day and age, nothing convinces someone that something is true like feeling as though it is true. And the sense of liberation that comes from saying life is meaningless, I can do what I need to to make myself feel better, is enough for most people to believe that they have come into the truth, but they've actually accepted a very hopeless situation. I'm reminded of the old classic story of Pilgrim's Progress, a story of a human seeking the true God and often facing the struggle of two choices. One narrow path has many hazards on each side, and one easy path offers all the pleasure and ease you could want. Jesus warned his early followers about this same scenario. Enter the narrow gate, Jesus said, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction, and those who enter through it are many. How narrow the gate and constricted the road that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Matthew seven thirteen through 14 It's our incredible loss as a culture that stories like Pilgrim's Pro- Progress are no longer part of our mental and moral formation. 
if it was people like Andrew, might be slower to choose the easy path and more equipped to choose the way that will challenge and in reality save him. Andrew's depression is rooted in the fact that he has only left two options about God himself and the world on the table. The first option is that humans are scum in God's eyes. Hence, God is a mercilessly demanding father, impossible to please. The second option is that God doesn't exist. Therefore, exploit the world and use what you find for coping. Neither option provides a cure for depression. The third option is this. God is not who you think he is, Andrew. I know you know that this third option exists, but it requires much of you. Going on a journey to seek the truth, knowing that it can be found, it's a demanding and scary venture. But the good news is that it means it requires your effort. It requires you to do something, to seek something out, and then to make decisions based upon what you find. In other words, your effort has value, which is another way of saying that you yourself have value in the world. You can choose to do something or not to do something. You can choose to seek the truth or not to seek it. And when you find it, you can choose to act on it or to bury it. And what you choose to do will have dire consequences, or it could have tremendously good consequences. This is good news, because it means the world is not meaningless, and that your choices matter, and therefore you matter. When a parent does everything for a child and never lets that child grow up and do things for themselves, the child eventually resents his parents for making him dependent and unable to contribute to society. The parent who looks at their child with expectation and requires personal responsibility eventually finds a friend in a free-thinking, capable individual who brings a unique set of gifts and personality to the world, and also who is likely to look a lot like them. It's a funny thing that the when parents hold on tightly to their kids uh, and try to, to control the outcome of what that person ends up becoming, uh, then oftentimes that child will feel the controlling and reject it and try to be the opposite of their parents. But when there's a good, strong relationship um, between a, a parent and child with freedom for free thought and challenges and making one's own decisions, a lot of times the respect in that scenario develops a human being that looks a lot like their parent who has then become a hero in their mind as opposed to a dominating, controlling figure. I believe that God's relationship with us is much more like the second parent. He requires of us things. He requires that we inquire about, about life. We commit to practicing, applying, and surrendering to the truth that we discover. God gives us freedom to make choices and allows us to grow up in our thinking so that in all things we can become conformed to the image of Christ, not because God has done this to us against our will, but because we have actually sought it out sought the truth, recognized it, accepted it, accepted it, and surrendered to it. The doctrines that often plague us are men's handiwork that often fall short of the fullness of truth despite their best efforts. Doctrines of men are not the same thing as the word of God revealed in human flesh. It's Jesus who saves us, not doctrines. Doctrines are important, but they're not infallible. Jesus is not a doctrine, but a person, alive from the dead and able to communicate with us. Jesus is not under the control of anyone's doctrine or thought, including our own. Jesus never claimed to know the truth. Jesus claimed to be the truth. If we want to know who God is, we have to look at the person of Jesus. We need to study him, talk to him. We need to come to know him on his own terms. 
No Calvinist can present to you a binding legal document that requires God to behave in a particular way. The only thing that limits God is God's own character. Jesus is flesh, blood, spirit, and life. When our doctrines fail to bring liberty and life, I think it's safe to conclude that our doctrines fail simply to express the full reality of who Jesus is. Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. John fourteen twenty three. Jesus doesn't love scum, nor does he make his home in scum. Jesus sees value in you, enough value to sacrifice himself to redeem you. The Bible does not teach that humans are scum. Calvinism itself is a little incomprehensible on the subject, but the Bible is not. The Apostle Paul said that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he said that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. God cannot love something that is not lovable. Even as a sinner, you have a redemptive value that Jesus paid a high price to reclaim. Let's not forget that in the beginning, God created mankind and said that it was very good. We may have sinned, but God hasn't thrown his creation into the trash. Instead, he spent his very self to redeem it. And that's why this gospel is good news for everyone, everywhere, at all times. It's a gospel for the whole person and the whole planet. Jesus once asked a stupid question of a crippled man. The man was sitting by a healing pool, waiting for a time when the waters were stirred up. I don't even know what that means, except something to this effect, that the locals believed that when the water stirred up, an angel or a spiritual being was in the water stirring it up, and the first person who could get into that water would be healed. Jesus was at this pool, saw the man lying there, and said to him, Do you wish to get well? What a dumb question. Yet instead of answering the question, the man said, I have nobody to help me get into the pool when the waters are stirred up. There is a price to pay for healing, and that price is personal responsibility. If Jesus heals the disabled person, he is no longer a victim, particularly in a culture where a crippled person who was visibly handicapped was guaranteed the charity of the community. Giving up your status as a crippled person It's giving up a great measure of security. The way the Jews at that time viewed the poor was that the poor were a gift from God, presenting an opportunity to give to God by giving to the poor. So if you are visibly crippled, you are guaranteed an income. But if that person is healed, he will no longer live off of charity, and now he must learn to become industrious and charitable himself. This transformation is demanding and requires effort. So the question is, Do we really want to get well? We can rant and rave against God. We can complain about our depression. But if God takes away the power of our accusation, we no longer have an excuse for our disobedience. So as Jesus told the cripple, Rise, take up your sickbed, and go home. What is our reply? Do we really want to get well? This is The Cutting Edge. What you know about faith, boy? What you know about picking up your cross, boy? What you know about giving all you got till it ain't nothing left but the breath in your chest, boy? In 2013, an evangelist from a rural area of Shandong, China, wrote this letter. When the gospel was first shared with us last December, we didn't have any Bibles among us. We felt such a hunger to know more about the truth that we had been searching for all our lives. 
The evangelist who preached to us did not have an extra Bible either, and he attempted to obtain Bibles for us that winter without success. When we cried out to the Lord with a burning desire to know him, we received the peace in our hearts that our Heavenly Father was going to provide, but we did not understand how. In May 2013, the Lord answered our prayers, and every fellowship leader and evangelist among us received the Bible. We fell down on our faces before the Lord and wept with joy as we thanked Him for providing the bread of life. The people who brought the Bibles to us explained that they are provided by Christians around the world who care for us and who sacrificed their hard-earned money so we could have God's Word. We are just peasants from the countryside, so we don't understand much about the world outside China. Everything overseas seems so strange to us, but we now feel this strong connection to God's people around the world, even though we haven't met them yet. Now the Lord has given us a desire to tithe from our vegetables, rice, wheat, chickens, and eggs that we take to the city market. We will use the proceeds to help provide the scriptures to other Christians in China who do not yet have any. This is our way of passing on the most wonderful gift we have received in our lives. Although we don't know you by name, we thank you from the depths of our heart for providing these Bibles to us. We believe that in heaven the Lord is going to reveal those of you who provided the word of God. We look forward to worshiping before the Lord with you. God's grace and peace be with you until then. This excerpt was taken from Shandong, the Revival Province, by Paul Hathaway, part of the China Chronicles, inside the greatest Christian revival in history. We need to remember how precious the word of God is to us. Many people have many complaints against God, but they haven't bothered to read his word. Don't take your freedom for granted. And don't enslave yourself with ignorance. Thank God for the Bible that you have, and then make use of it by reading it. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not take a minute to rate and review the podcast in whatever podcast app you use so more people can find it and you will also encourage me. If you'd like to stay more in tune with what we're doing as a family, my wife and I and our children travel around the country as missionaries, music missionaries. We're also doing local events next week. As a matter of fact, with Halloween coming, uh, we are doing a worship event outside of a local Planned Parenthood. Um, We are trying to overwhelm that place with the presence of Jesus through worship. Um, It's our prayer that abortion will end in this country in the near future. We'll also be praying for the nation. Um, We're going to be having a, a night of worship and intercession the night before, not just for the Planned Parenthood event, but for our nation. There's a lot at stake in this current election. If you are not registered to vote, please get registered and go vote. And I don't have any encumbrance to saying, please vote for Donald Trump and the Republican Party. Not because I think the Republican Party is a bunch of saints or don't have any problems, but because the Democratic Party is anti-God. The church is one of the greatest obstacles to communism, and the left in this country hates the church. The true church, those who will not compromise on holiness. Please take the opportunity seriously to influence your country. Our country was founded by Christians The pilgrims came to this country so that there would be freedom of religion. Our founding fathers wanted one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all, which I think is a prayer highly compatible with the prayer Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
we should be doing all in our power to bring a more just and holy society into existence so people like Andrew can know the truth about who God really is and not get sucked up in a culture of lies and arrogant secularism. If you have a topic or something you'd like me to talk about or us to talk about in the future, any kind of suggestion for the podcast, I'm always open to hearing those. You can reach us through our website, thegospelforplanetearth.com. Click on the contact link and uh, you will know what you need to do from there. Come back to be with us next week because we have a very special episode. My friend Tarleton Brooks will be in the studio. She is a former witch who is now following Jesus wholeheartedly. We also have a um, exciting short video clip of that podcast episode, which will be up on our YouTube channel, The Gospel for Planet Earth, as well. Thanks for being with us this week. Until next week, God bless you and embolden you to live faithfully for the gospel. Well, I was made to do great things. I was saved to do great things.